Podcastle, episode 372, for July 14, 2015. The Character of the Hound, by Tony Pye, rated PG. Welcome to Podcastle. I'm Graham Dunlop, your co-editor and host. Before we get started today, I'm wondering whether you folks have heard of a sci-fi podcast called Escape Pod? Yes? I sure hope so. It's one of our sister casts. They've been around for quite a while now. So long, in fact, that they're fast approaching their 500th episode. If you're an Escape Pod fan, we have something a little special. We've set up a Skype number for fans to call and leave a short message of encouragement of thanks, of what Escape Pod means to you, anything you'd like. We'll pick a few and feature them in the 500th episode. The Skype number is 910-777-5053. That number again is 910-777-5053. So get dialing and show Escape Pod some love. And now to today's feature. I really like martial arts films. I've seen stacks of them, although I have tapered off a bit recently. But I particularly like ones set in historical China or Japan. For example, a friend recently gave me the live-action Rurouni Kenshin films, and they're enormously enjoyable. Set in Japan in the late 1860s, they tell the stories of a government killer turned wanderer, Rurouni possibly seeking redemption. Such amazing swordplay, it's awesome. You may know this from the anime Samurai X. I believe it's the same story. Another example is the Once Upon a Time in China series, which I like because of Jet Li. Huge fan, the guy is awesome. In fact, his Fist of Legend is one of my all-time favourite films. So, I'm also partial to stories set in that kind of milieu, and today's story pretty much ticks all my boxes. Today we present The Character of the Hound by Tony Pye. It was first published in The Dragon and the Stars, a door anthology that appeared in 2010. Dr. Tony Pye is a writer based in Toronto, Canada, with a PhD in linguistics. Originally from Taiwan, He was nominated for the John W. Campbell Award for Best New Writer and is a double nominee in the 2015 Aurora Awards for Best English Short Fiction and Best English Poem Slash Song. He has a story coming out in the Mammoth Book of Diesel Punk from Running Press that's actually available today. It's called Cosmobotica and was co-written with Kosti Gurgu. You can follow Tony's adventures at TonyPie.com. The story is read to you by John Chu. John is a microprocessor architect by day, a writer, translator and podcast narrator by night. His work has been published or is forthcoming in Uncanny, Lightspeed and Tor.com and he's the winner of the 2014 Hugo for Best Short Story for The Water That Falls On You From Nowhere. He blogs occasionally at blog.johnchu.net and you can find him on Twitter at John underscore Chu. Links will be in the show notes. But now, 
Are you ready to serve your country in its struggle? Yes? Good. We have a task for you. Come, see, and enjoy the story. The Character of the Hound by Tony Pai Autumn in the 31st year of the Shing reign period of the Southern Song Dynasty on the southern shore of the Yellow River, Henan Province. Not long past sunset, halfway through my inspection of another paddle-wheel warship, an anxious messenger arrived delivering a strange summons. All soldiers who bear the character of the hound, come with me, he cried. Our generation all bore a tenyu, a proverb tattooed down our backs. What the heralds sought was the ideogram for hound, which had two forms. I stepped over the foot treadle and greeted the herald, fist in hand. I am Wu Fan, and my tenyu is Chou Hao Wu Fan. I had chosen the tenyu when I turned twenty as a vow to my deceased father, and I also took my courtesy name from it. Literally, new feather not harm. The proverb meant one who would not commit the slightest offense against the people. It was my eldest brother who had tattooed those words into permanence at my capping ceremony. No others aboard bore a tattoo that fit the summons, but my guide seemed satisfied with me and shoved me towards the exit. I barely had enough time to call out instructions to my ragged crew. Load the thunderclap bombs without me! Off ship, the sandy shore was crowded with makeshift camps and grim soldiers preparing for battle. Snatches of lewd songs and laughter rose amid the sounds of toil, but the overall mood remained bleak. The Jing army had massed 400,000 strong on the northern bank of the Yellow River, whereas our river fleet had only 20,000 men. If we could not stop them from crossing at sunrise, they would lay waste to the lands we had reclaimed from them ten years ago, and the sacrifice of a hundred thousand lives would be for naught. A flurry of messengers boarded and left other creaking boats, some alone, a few accompanied by men in their twenties like me, called to the same duty. The lack of seasoned warriors with the hound mark did not surprise me. Soldiers of the generation before us, who had fought under Yue Fei, the spirit general, all bore the same tattooed motto as he did, utmost loyalty serve country. It was only after the capture of the capital Kaifeng, during the years of the fragile peace, that men and women began wearing proverbs of their own choosing. All of us seemed to be converging on the grand vessel holding court among smaller ships, eleven paddle wheels aside and one of the finest trebuchets in the fleet. We called her the Longma, after the legendary dragon horse guardian of the Yellow River. I had admired the flagship from afar, but had never set foot on her. But I could not dispel my unease about the strange summons. My superiors had not asked after knowledge or skills, but required a man merely for the shape of a word on his skin. A blood sacrifice to ensure victory on the morrow? To my surprise, we approached a stark vessel in the shadow of the flagship, where a handful of scowling men already gathered. A Chito ranked officer guarded the gangplank, wielding a snake halberd as he would a flag spear. Only a red paper lantern hung from the base of the halberd blade. 
A slip of paper with calligraphic characters swayed beneath the light, the black ink still wet, proclaiming a riddle. One dog, four mouths. Only a man who knows the answer may board, the officer said. Three of the men shook their heads and stepped back. Illiterate, perhaps? The rest of us considered the puzzle in earnest. Lantern riddles intrigued me. As youths in my native Sichuan, my brothers and I had matched wits against many riddle hands during the lantern festivals. Sometimes a riddle depended on words with double meanings, and other times several ideograms had to be combined to yield the final word. By the puzzle's form, I suspected the latter. Dog suggested the word for hound. Which could be combined with four instances of the character for mouth. Only one word fit the riddle, chi, the character for tool or receptacle. I was the first to answer. Satisfied, the officer dismissed the others and stepped aside to let me board. Unlike the other wheel ships in the fleet, which had been rigged with trebuchets, this squat vessel held on deck only a windowless cabin with a door slightly ajar. I gathered my courage and entered. Two men stood in heated argument in the lantern-lit chamber. I recognized the wispy-bearded man in his early fifties as General Chang, bedecked in his imposing lamellar armor. A veteran of the war against the Jing, Zhang had been given command of our river fleet by the Spirit General himself. The other, a balding man in his thirties, bore a deep diagonal scar crossing both his lips. His uniform marked him as a Yongdui, a platoon commander. Our ships and weapons are superior. Even without its magic, we can win tomorrow," Admiral Tsang insisted. "I, who am beneath your flag, beg you to reconsider." Beneath your flag, the admiral's use of the honorific for the Yongdui ill fit the proper chain of command. The scar-lipped man shook his head and answered Zhang in a calm and sonorous voice. "No, it remains the key to holding the Yellow River and must not fall into Jing hands at any cost." I knelt in obeisance. "I, your servant Wu Fan, am at your disposal." This posture brought my eyes to fixate on a pool of drying blood before a closed interior door. A sudden chill overtook me. How will this man help? Admiral Tsang asked. Scarlips drew his sword from its leather scabbard and stepped so close that his trouser leg brushed against my tied hair. He has a mind for riddles, it seems. He touched the flat of his sword against the nape of my neck and slid its entire length down my back between cotton and skin. I dared not move and held myself as still as I could against the gentle rocking of the boat. A sudden breeze tickled my back, and my cotton tunic fell in two parts, sliding down my arms. And he has the hound upon his back. General Tsang snarled, "But is he loyal? I, your servant, have known scoundrels who rip their shirts to show honor written down their backs, even as they lie in steel," I said, unable to hold my tongue. My tattoo may not shout the same allegiance, but I take my Chen Yu's moral to heart. I am true to the emperor and would never turn traitor. Let my deeds prove it. 
Would you lay down your life here and now to save the kingdom? Scarlips asked. I give it without hesitation, I blurted. Then it seems you have the heart as well. Scarlips sheathed his sword. Wu Fan, you will hear many strange and secret things tonight, not to be repeated on pain of death. If you understand, rise. I let my arms slip from the sundered tunic as I stood. I do. Call me Koshen. Koshen meant mouth god or mouth spirit, leaving me to wonder about the nature of this man. There is an urgent matter of the state, the theft of a relic from the ship. Do you know the legend of the Hetu? Yes, the sacred river chart. I answered. In ancient times, as a gift to the king. The yellow river sent a dragon horse from its depths with a magical map of the river's secrets upon its back. Koshen nodded. The Hutu is real, and in the hands of a sorcerer, the hide can raise floods or calm waters on the yellow river. The currents flow in our favor, and the enemies who slip under water never surface alive. Thanks to the Hutu's magic, the Jing armies have feared the river, but that advantage may be lost. He pushed the door to the adjacent room open. Two robed men and a guardsman lay dead at the foot of the silk-draped table, their throats cleanly cut. I turned away. I had seen more gruesome deaths in my three years of military service, but the cold precision of these murders disgusted me. Who did this? A traitor among us, one of high rank who knows about the Hetu. Koshen said. Admiral Zhang's face twisted with anguish when Koshen said, "Traitor, the sorcerers may be dead, but our fleet will rise to the challenge." I do not doubt it, Admiral, Koshen said. But while there remains a chance to recover the Hetu, we must seek it. I am honored that you have chosen me for this task, but I am a mere engineer, I said. I can fix trebuchets and paddle wheels, or calculate the trajectory of a bomb, but catching a murderer—I see in you a clever man, Wu Fan," Koshen said. "And you will, you must use these wits for the sake of the country. My apologies, but I, the lowest general, must see to the remaining battle preparations for the morning," Admiral Zhang said, bowing. "I leave this matter in your capable hands." He departed, leaving me alone with Koshen. Koshen gestured at a stubby stool. After I politely declined, he took that seat for himself. I am one of many Shen in the service of the Spirit General, he said. For the sake of our people, Wu Fan, you must allow one such spirit to enter you. There were rumors of such spirits said to serve the Spirit General Yue Fei. Returning with him from beyond the grave to protect the Song Dynasty, Yue Fei's legend told of his mother, who had tattooed the words "utmost loyalty, serve country" on her son's back to remind him of his patriotic duty. That gift of needled words did not save the general nineteen years ago, when he had been falsely accused by the prime minister of treason and executed. But it was said that one of Yue Fei's disciples had taken the same mark of loyalty to honor him, and had willingly given possession of his body to his master's ghost, whose work in this world remained unfinished.
To this day, the spirit general kept command of the armies of the southern Song. When Yue Fei died, he discovered that his spirit could leap from body to body. If they bore the same tattoo Chen Yu as his, Kou Shen continued. But the spirit general is not the only spirit bound to words on skin, though he is the greatest among us. We call him Xing Shen, spirit of the word heart. I understood. Heart appeared in the word for loyalty. Then you are the spirit of the word mouth? The man before me was merely a vessel for Kou Shen. Judging by Scarlip's age, he would have borne the same Chen Yu as Yue Fei. Mouth is part of the word for country, Kou Shen nodded. My eyes widened. Then the character of the hound, I am to host its spirit? I, we need the nose of Quan Shen, spirit of the hound, to identify and capture the thief, Kou Shen said. I was at a loss for words. It would be a legendary sacrifice to serve a spirit. After all, when Yue Fei had taken his disciples' body, he had been able to expose the prime minister as a Jing spy and rally the Song army. Under his banner, our brethren won back the land south of the Yellow River. But what had happened to the disciple who had given his body to Yue Fei? Sweat beaded on my brow. Could I endure that loss of freedom? What happens to me? Do I die? No, Kou Shen assured me. Well, Quan Shen controls your body, you still sense and observe, and your thoughts remain your own. We spirits must obey certain laws. One, a spirit only senses the strength, direction, and distance of the summons, but does not hear the Chen Yu used to conjure him. That secret is your hold over him. Two, a spirit is a guest. Only you may invite him in, but once he accepts, only you may release him, so long as your Chen Yu remains secret from him. Three, if the spirit discovers your Chen Yu and speaks it aloud, the body that hears it must acknowledge the spirit as its master. Thereafter, he may come and leave of his own accord. Then the sooner we find the thief, the sooner I can send this Quan Shen away. But for all we know, the thief has already thrown He Tu back into the Yellow River. Kou Shen disagreed. Whoever stole it must know its true worth. Whether he craves wealth or power, he is a fool if he does not approach the Jing. I don't have the courage for this, I admitted. You have. Look where you are, serving in a fleet fighting for your country, ready to die. Why fear a few hours loan of your body? Study your doubts and cast them aside, soldier. I gazed into the lantern flame and meditated on my fear. To let an unknown spirit ride my skin and do things with my body without my permission, that scared me witless. But my fathers and uncles had given their lives fighting the Jurchen barbarians from the north, who stole our lands and dared to call themselves a golden dynasty. How could I be afraid to surrender my body for one night when I had already pledged it to my people? Please accept this humble apology from your servant. You are right. It is my duty and honor to serve. Kou Shen clasped my shoulder. Good. But I had to ask one thing that still disturbed me. 
You set that riddle to find an intelligent man. Why? Is there something I should know about the spirit of the hound? Ah, you are astute, Wu Fan. Quan Shen is the only spirit who can track the He Tu, but he has drunk too deep from the well of power. There's a risk in that for us spirits. We may invoke the magic rooted in the nature of our word at the cost of losing part of our humanity. For example, the spirit of wine is an inveterate drunk. The spirit of the wind is the embodiment of wanderlust, and even I talk too much. As for Transhen, he thinks and reacts like a hound, and forgets that sometimes he must think before he acts. You must be his better judgment. Keep him focused on his mission. But what do I do once I find the thief? Leave him to me," Koshun said, his hand falling to the hilt of his sword. How do I summon him? Prayer, need, both. Speak your Chenyu and wish for a spirit's aid," he explained. I frowned. But will Trenson come? He dwells for now in a soldier of Kai Feng. I have a host there chanting Chenyu, awaiting my return. I will convince Trenson to come to you. Are you ready? I am. I replied. Good. I will return to this body soon," Koshen said. He yawned, letting his head and shoulders slump. When he raised his eyes to meet mine again, he laughed softly and flexed his fingers. Koshen, I asked. He's gone for the moment. My name is Renchun," he said. It is an honor, Renchun," I replied. If I may ask, what is it like to serve Koshen? Renchun stroked his scar idly as he searched for the right words. Imagine a dragon dance where you're the dragon, rippling and twisting in glory. Only you're at the mercy of the troop who carries you, dancing to their whim. You watch yourself chasing the pearl or circling the pillar, but the beauty and motion isn't yours. I see. Who is this Koshen? In truth, I asked. Koshen is the voice of the spirit general. Every squadron has a mouthpiece like me, waiting and praying at the appointed hour for spirit general to possess him. He bears messages from far and wide, giving our army a formidable advantage over the Jin. When he possesses me, I wait and listen while he observes the fleet or dines with officers. Whoever you serve, friend. You'll need patience. What I have serves me well enough. I answered. Renchun smiled. If you say so, come. Let's begin. He kicked away the stool, settled in a lotus position, and closed his eyes. I imitated him and intoned my Chenyu over and over in a shaking voice. I formed the character of Hound in my mind's eye. Come, Renchun, your country has need of you. And I open my heart to you. Come. On the twelfth iteration, the spirit entered me. My voice, no, our voice, ceased chanting, and our eyes opened of their own accord. Thousands of new scents overwhelmed our sense of smell, each with a different shade and strength. When I had been the sole occupant of my body, my thoughts centered behind my eyes, but that place was no longer the throne of my reason. A phantom hound with boundless energy took that seat from me, 
and my sense of self scattered to the edges like fleas on his hide. Against my will, we sprang to our feet. Our heads strained to see our back, but the Chen Yu tattoo remained out of sight. Growling, we spun in place, a dog chasing its own tail. I tried to communicate with Trenshen, but my mouth didn't even try to shape my intended words. I tried manifesting my thoughts instead. Honorable Trenshen, please cease. You will only make us ill. Trenshen ignored me and laughed, spinning faster and faster. This could amuse me all night, he said in my voice. A firm hand gripped our shoulder, stopping Trenshen's mad twirling. Trenshen, do not bring disgrace to our son with these antics. Behave. Trenshen sneered. I was enjoying that, big mouth. Show proper respect and call me Koshen. You waste time we don't have. Work with Wu Fan to find the He Tu. Work with this pup? Trenshen said. We sniffed our armpit. The stink was our own, but laced with old tea and sour plum. He reeks of fear and doubt. Pup? I considered my words to Trenshen and knew where I had gone wrong. I had deferred to him when I should have acted like pack leader. Know your place, Trenson. I am no pup, I said. I conjured you to serve the good of the country. There's no place for your selfish behavior among us. So, what if I refuse, he said, testing me. I will cast you out of this body, and Koshen, and I will spread word of your shame throughout the land. Thereafter, only vagabonds would dare take the mark of the hound, much less pray to you. It is your choice. Become an outcast, or join us and fight for a victory feast. Which will it be? Our stomach rumbled, and our lips parted to bare our teeth. I'm starving now, Trenshen complained. Soon. Very well. What do you need? The scent of the killer and the whereabouts of the He Tu. I directed him towards the chart room. Koshen observed us from the doorway. Our nose, enchanted by hound magic, identified an abundance of smells. Trenshen isolated them one by one. Learn these scents, pup. Three deaths, one after the other. We crouched next to the closest body, the guardsman. This one died first. Never had time to sweat surprise. We switched to a crispy, spicy odor. Skinny one was second, a quick death, a scent of surprise without the bouquet of fear. We tilted our head towards the third and last body. Smell it on him? The scent of old tea. Sure, call it that. But which is the killer's scent? I asked. We tested a succession of smells, but Transcen discarded them quickly. Bland fish from supper, month-old ink, balm for skin disease on that one. We sniffed again. Ah, an odd smell. It was a smoky, earthy scent of grass. I knew it. Mugwort? Close. Smoke from its burning. Transcen said. Moxibustion? I suggested. Some healers burned mugwort on patient skins to improve blood flow. 
tell Koshen. We turn towards Koshen. Whoever killed them likely had a moxibustion treatment within the day, Trenshen reported. Koshen brushed his thumb lightly against a scar as he considered the clue. I know two healers in the fleet who do moxibustion. They might remember who they treated. I'll ask General Tsang to find them. Is the scent strong enough to track? No, but the He Tu's fragrance is enough, Trenshen replied. Let me memorize it. We bit and tore the silk off the table, gathered it in our hands and inhaled deeply. The blend of smells, horsehide, watered wine, and salted carp, defied my expectations. So delicate was the balance of the three, their sum became fragrant despite their constituent parts. Trenshen laughed. The bouquet of the river's magic, rarest of the rare. Breathe deep and grow drunk, pup. I left him to indulge while I considered another part of the puzzle. How heavy was the He Tu, and could a lone assassin carry it and escape notice? The elm table that held the He Tu had been exquisitely carved. Its spindly legs resembled dragon horses, while the tabletop had been inlaid with a golden bone magic square pattern. It wasn't the sturdiest of tables, but had likely been designed to hold only one thing, the He Tu. The scaly hide of a dragon horse likely weighed more than horse hide. Assuming the unfolded hide covered the entire table, I calculated the approximate weight of the relic from those dimensions. The He Tu would be easiest to carry if the assassin had an accomplice, I told Trenson. Or if he acted alone, he would need to be a strong man to manage such a cumbersome relic. Even so, he could not have gone far without a horse. Tell Koshen. Trenson did not obey. Instead, he sniffed the air and growled, I smell rain on its way. Hurry, or the scents will wash away. We dropped to all fours, kicked off our shoes, and dashed out of the cabin. Trenson, this is undignified, I shouted. Think about the mission, he said. We left from the deck of the ship onto the rocky shore, tumbling in a predatory crouch. Soldiers around us stared in disbelief. Renchun had likened spirit possession to a dragon dance, but I felt more like a lion dance costume worn by Trenshun, the acrobat. Wait! Koshun shouted behind us. Take a horse! Faster on foot! Try to catch up! Trenshun said. We locked onto the scent trail and bolted. The sight of a shirtless and shoeless man tearing through camp on the eve of war set off cries of alarm by nervous soldiers. Everyone thinks I've gone mad, I said, and prayed no one would attack us. Behind us, I heard hoofbeats and Koshen's voice. Hold your swords, he commanded, much to my relief. Clouds above threatened to blot out the full moon. We cleared the camp, bounded up a slope to the edge of the forest of oaks, and sniffed. Smell that horse? That way, Trenshin said and raced into the dark woodlands. The fragrant trail of the He Tu lured us southwest through the forest. A few jagged stones underfoot cut shallow wounds on our calloused hands and feet as we ran, but we gritted our teeth and pushed on. Occasionally, we would stop and sniff and confirm the direction before setting off again. 
The moonlight filtered down through the canopy of leaves, barely enough to see by. However, the gloom worked to our advantage. A careful assassin would have had to lead his horse down the path slowly, as a misstep could break the animal's leg. Are you loving this? Trenson said more of a statement than a question. Surprisingly, I was. Trenson's magic granted my body strength and speed it never had, and I never felt more alive. The darkness proved little hindrance with the hound's mystical senses guiding us. Koshin was taking the bigger risk, pressing his mount through the same terrain after us. At first, he held his own on the trail. But Trenshin had been taking incredible leaps to take shortcuts that a rider and horse could never follow. I lost track of where they were behind us. Turn back and find Koshin. We can't fight the killer alone. I said. We have no sword, and even if we had one, I had only basic training. You call yourself a soldier? Trenshin growled. I am an expert shot with the trebuchet. I said in defense. Easy, I'll rip out his throat with my teeth. Trenchton was drunk on the magic of the wild, thirsting for a fight. Even I became tipsy, but I fought to hold on to rational thought. A few drops of rain splashed on our back. Our nose twitched. Smell that mugwort. We're close, he said. Take him by surprise, I advised. But Trenson would not listen. We barked a war cry and hurtled forward. There, the silhouette of a man leading a horse. The assassin had heard the noise and reached for his sword. But Trenson growled and pounced, forcing him to the ground. We sank our teeth into the man's forearm, but he punched us in the head with his other hand, disorienting us. He rolled away from his frightened mare, drawing his sword in a fluid motion. We shook off our days, turned and crouched. Our enemy rose to his feet, and I recognized his face. He's one of the healers. Trenchton charged the assassin, but he was quicker, sidestepping our attack. A sword cut connected with our left shoulder, opening a painful gash. We growled and backed out of his reach. Rain began to fall. Listen, Trenchton. His sword gives him an advantage, but we need not fight. I drew his attention to the mare, which had a bulky bundle strapped to her back. Spook the horse and deny him the chutu until reinforcements arrive. We started circling the assassin. I can take him, Trenchton said, baring our teeth. With sword at the ready, the assassin slowly approached his horse. Obey, or we both die, I said. If you are the spirit of the hound, draw on your other qualities besides the wild: loyalty, dedication, duty. I felt Trenchton calm. As you command. We barked and leapt through the air with supernatural strength towards the mare, grabbed a branch overhead and kicked her rump, panicking the horse. She reared and bolted. The assassin surged forward and cut at us. But we swung ourselves up onto the branch. The tree's limb bowed and creaked under our weight. It would not hold for long. Undaunted, the assassin unleashed a barrage of strikes at our feet. But we grabbed the higher branch and pulled our feet out of his reach. What now? Trenson muttered. 
Our ears picked up the sound of approaching hooves hitting damp earth. Out of the shadows came Koshen, astride his steed, his blade wet with rain. The assassin turned, but not in time. A swing of Koshen's sword as he rode past separated the villain's head from his body. We breathed easier. Koshen, what kept you? Trenshen asked. You should have waited, Koshen said. Come down, my friend. I caught a whiff of old tea in an updraft. Wait, Trenshin, isn't that the smell of fear? Yes, Trenshin subvocalized. Strange, why would Koshin still be afraid? The enemy is dead. How would Koshin know how many healers in the fleet practiced moxibustion? And why did he come alone when he could have easily brought reinforcements? I asked. It must be Renchun pretending to be Koshin. Look at the way he stroked his scar. Like an old comfort. Trenshin cursed. I knew Big Mouth was far too quiet. Well, Renchun asked, let's find the Hutu. Renchun silenced his accomplice before he could betray him, I conjectured. He expects us to trust him so he can kill us as soon as we turn our back. A moment, I can hear the runaway horse better from this height, Trenshin replied to me. Do we fight then? Even with your powers, we would surely lose against a mounted swordsman. I have an idea, I said. Give the branch below us a strong kick and it will fall. It's hardly enough to hurt him, even if it connects, Trenshin said, doubtful. No, but it will be a distraction. Can you get us to the dead man's sword? I asked. The weapon lay in the assassin's lifeless hand, besides Trenshin and his horse. I thought you were pathetic with the blade. I am, but Koshin is not. He knows Renchun's body well and likely his weaknesses. One of the words in my tenryu has the character for mouth, so I will try summoning Koshin myself. I was deliberately vague about which word in case Trenshin could figure out my tenryu. You are doomed if I leave, Trenshin said. What if he fails to come? He will. He must. Then dismiss me when you are ready. Good luck, my friend. And you, Trenshin. We slammed down with our feet and broke off the branch, catching Renchun by surprise. The limb fell, missing him and his horse, but it was enough to startle the mare, which whinnied and skittered a few paces to safety. We took advantage of the diversion, swinging away from Renchun, and dropped to the ground, landing soft. With a cry, Renchun spurred his mount back towards us, brandishing his sword, but his blade caught only air as we rolled under the mare and dove for the dead man's weapon. When we had it in our hand, I dismissed Trenshin. Go! The spirit of the hound fled my body, returning control to me, but leaving me exhausted. I staggered to my feet and held the sword up with a trembling hand. I shouted my tenryu, my need for Koshin, never greater. Die, Renchun cried, leaning from horseback to cut me down. The spirit of Koshin poured into me. Our grip strengthened on the sword's hilt, and Koshin anticipated Renchun's feint, parrying the blow that would have killed us. Renchun pressed his attack, but Koshin anticipated his strikes, 
dodging and blocking with our sword. You cannot defeat me, Renchen. Our voice carried a force like thunder. Koshen, Renchen guessed. Let's put that to the test, shall we? The Jing will pay me well to know if a spirit can die. I think not. Why did you turn, Renchen? Koshen asked amid the ringing of blade against blade. Renchen sneered. This world belongs to the living. I'd rather see the Song Dynasty fall to the Jing than let ghosts like you use and corrupt our people. No, Renchen. We serve the country even in death. It is you who have betrayed the words on your back. With those words, Koshen left my body as swiftly as he had taken it. And they shall be your downfall, Koshen said in Renchen's voice, in control of the traitor's body. He sheathed his sword. Fatigue overtook me again as I kept the sword's point towards him in a shaking hand, not sure what had happened. Remember what I had told you about a spirit who has learned someone's chenyu, Koshen said. I understood. If the body heard the spirit speak the chenyu, it would acknowledge him as the master. It works even when you speak it in a different body. He nodded. His body is mine. It was an ability with frightening potential. Legions of Song soldiers bore Yue Fei's tattoo. A spirit that shouted the Chen Yu could leap to any man who heard it, carrying its skills where it was needed on the battlefield. I was beginning to understand the true power of the spirit general and his ghosts, and why Ren Chun feared them. A loyal spirit would serve the good, but if they were all human ones, then some of them might be tempted to do evil. I should have known it was him earlier, I said. I should not have been so trusting. The brunt of the blame is mine, Koshen said, binding the wounds on my shoulder. It was I who made Ren Chun privy to the secret of the He Tu. I will release this body once Admiral Zhang has him safely bound. He opened a hand to gauge the rain, a drizzle still. The morning creeps closer and a battle remains to be won. Let us recover the He Tu quickly. It's strapped to the assassin's horse. I know a spirit who can track it. I smiled. Koshen nodded. If you will consent to it. It would be an honor, I replied. However, it was also my duty to learn more about these spirits. Not for profit as Renchen did, but to understand what they were and where their loyalties lay. I spoke my Chen Yu and held Chen's name firm in my heart. Come, my friend, we have need of you. This time, I welcomed the spirit of the hound. Welcome back. Tony wanted to say this about the story. This is an alternate history story. In real history, the Jin held the territory north of the Yangtze River. And the continuity of this story, due to the interference of the spirits, the Jin only held the territory north of the Yellow River. Now let's look at some feedback this week, which is for episode 362, Amma's Wishes, by M.E. Garber. It was read by Marguerite Kenner, host of the very excellent YA podcast, Cast of Wonders. Check it out. 
Reactions were a bit mixed for this story. People were charmed by the tone and intrigued by the twist, but a bit puzzled by both character choices and the implications of said twist. Duango said, Emma was kind of dependent and not very imaginative, which actually works in this tale, as she accepts this and overcomes her limitations with a little help from her friends. I did get a strange image, before I knew her real wish, of a gaggle of the adventurous mothers all behind the bar, scolding their adventuring kids to clean up, stand up straight and get a real job. Humorous and disconcerting at the same time. Shane Hulback said, I particularly enjoyed the scene with Emma and Jean getting drunk and commiserating on their similarities. It was easy to forget the dark undercurrent of It's a man's world and adventurers will be adventurers under all the cutesiness. But I was definitely rooting for Emma to find a third choice rather than being forced to choose between constant sexual harassment or becoming a prostitute. So I was glad it ended happily for everyone in the end. And number five said... A fun twist on the genie in the bottle story. I enjoyed it, although I agree that in the end a lot of adventurers might end up going somewhere else to drink, unless of course their mum drank right along with them. There was also some discussion about how the story might have ended differently. You can check it out for yourself by visiting the forums at forum.escapeartists.net. While you're there, why not register and leave a few comments of your own? We would love to hear from you. And another addition to the Podcastle team. We are enormously pleased to welcome Khalida Muhammad Ali into our cohort of slushes. Khalida will be familiar to you as the talented narrator of episode 360, 21 Steps to Enlightenment, minus one, and 368, Dinkley's Ice Cream. Welcome, Khalida, and thanks for coming on board. Now, go save this story so you can listen again later. You are collecting these stories, aren't you? Well, even if you are, you probably don't have the earlier Podcastle stories, and we can help with that. Pop over to poddisc.com, where we have early stories from all three Escape Artists' podcasts. For a modest fee, pick up a CD or DVD of whichever show you like. We're working to update our offerings, and soon we hope to have full collections for each show. Well, here we are at the end again. On behalf of everyone at Podcastle, thank you so much for stopping by and listening to this week's story. We will be back next week with another. Podcastle is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated. It's delivered under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Share it all you like, but don't change or sell it. Our theme music is by Shiva and Exile. To find out more about them, check their website at shiva-in-exile.de. Sun Tzu said, Secret operations are essential in war. Upon them the army relies to make its every move.